0: Good morning, church family. If you can find your way back to your seats. So, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community. And uh, just got back from India. Just got back from India this weekend. So, uh, thank you for your prayers. Uh, God gave a lot of grace. I got there, and um, within three hours after... Getting, getting in, um, I was up and getting ready to go to a conference and to teach. So, and then the opposite, kind of coming back this direction, I was able to jump back in. So I know it's your prayers because I know that uh, there's usually a lot of jet lag when you go to the other side of the world and when you come back. So I appreciate your prayers. And, and because of some uh, uh, unforeseen uh, health stuff with Eric, he wasn't able to preach today. So you're going to get my preaching, which would have been next week, this week. But it really fits with my message, so it'll, it's my, it was God's setup for me for this week, as you'll see in just a few moments. But we are in, this, in the James series, and the title of our message today is The Deception of Presumption. The Deception of Presumption. And we're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. And uh, I want to read our text, if you would. Am I getting a buzz here? I think, a little hot. Okay, let's read our text here. It says in verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy for us to think we know what's coming up today and tomorrow and next week and the month after that and next year. And we can forget, Lord, that we really are not all-knowing. We don't see the future. We don't know for sure what's going to happen. And even if we saw what was going to happen, we don't know how circumstances will unfold. Lord, you've given us a knowledge that you are God Almighty. You are God who knows all things. You are God who is sovereign over all things, and you have wisdom that we need, and you have grace that we depend upon, and you have plans that we may not know even at this point. But Lord, we know you, and we know that you care for us. We know that even when we were yet sinners, you came and died for us. So we look to you now in this time, Lord, and we ask you to adjust us, if that's our need. Make us aware of prideful, self-sufficient attitudes. Speak to us, we pray now, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I live at the Horner house, my oldest daughter and her husband and their family, and uh, we are in the throngs and upheaval of uh, a graduation, high school graduation and getting ready for college. And so there's lots and lots of things going on, a lot of exciting things. Uh, my, uh, my granddaughter Naomi was paid, her, paid money already and was already on getting her planning for her roommate and all her classes and so forth for George Washington University. And then she found out because she was on a wait list After she had paid her money, that actually the school she really wanted to go to, Georgetown, offered her an opportunity to go there. So that's where she's going to go. And so we're happy for her for that. So that was kind of like one of those 11th hour kind of God things that he likes to do. He likes to to, uh, see if we're flexible, see if we're willing and able to shift in those situations. But I was thinking back at my own high school years. I, I, my junior year of high school, uh, my, my, my plan was to get an appointment to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to go through there and eventually become an astronaut. That was my junior year in high school. Got involved with a girl. And I figured, I don't think I want to do that anymore. So I decided that I was going to go to Ohio State University into aeronautical and aerospace engineering so I could design uh, spacecraft. I got there, and a couple years later, I thought, no, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go into ministry, so I got into a a different direction. I thought I was going to graduate in four years, and I graduated a little over three years. The high school sweetheart that I thought I would marry, we broke up. And so uh, four years after high school, I was registered for Asbury Seminary, when I was engaged to a Chinese girl. One year later, I was not going to Asbury. I was in an internship with Great Commission. Two years later, with a second child on the way, I was headed for a church plant at the University of Maryland in the, uh, nearby here. A few years after that, I was asked, could you just spend about a year or two in Baltimore? They're kind of a new church there, Grace Community Church. They kind of need a pastor there for a year or two. I said, yeah, that would be good because I'm going to be heading to Singapore with my family to be a part of reaching Southeast Asia. And I got here, and God said, This is where you're going to be impacting nations from here. We can make our plans, but the reality is we really don't know what the future holds. Seasons change, situations change, and we respond to those changes. Sometimes we respond well, sometimes not. Sometimes discouraged, sometimes frustrated, sometimes... Looking to God and saying, God, what are you doing and what what is it that you want me to be a part of? The big idea for our time today is kind of the exhortation from our section here is is this. It says, don't live a self-reliant life that ignores God, presuming presuming that you know the future and its outcome. Don't live a self-reliant life that ignores God. Presuming you know the future and its outcome. I have two points we're going to make today. The first point is this, that that we're presuming that that you're in control. Presuming that you're in control. And verse 13, it says this, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And we make a mistake here. We have an error here in how we think. We think that we're in control. We think we know what's coming. We think we can make those things happen. But the reality is, that's not true. That's not true that you and I really have that kind of control on what's going to be happening. I think we all experience that together with COVID, didn't we? We thought that we knew what was coming. We thought we knew what was going to be happening in relationships and job situations and schooling and activities that we were going to do and vacations that we are going to have and gatherings we are going to do. And all those things kind of came to a halt when COVID came. And James is kind of Pointing out what we what should be obvious to us is you really don't have that kind of control on your future you really have a uh you might have a part to play but ultimately there's going to be changes and there's going to be relationships and there's going to be opportunities and there's going to be setbacks that you and i don't see a year from now and perhaps even today Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan, and we'll see that that's good. We make plans. And in our heart, we want things. We want things to work out in a certain way. But the Bible says that God, the Lord, establishes our steps. He's the one who's going to have to make that plan work out the way that we see it, or something else that's different. Douglas Moo, who writes uh, commentaries from his James commentary, he said this. He said, come now you who say, that phrase that that James was using was a popular Greek style, but kind of had a blunt tone to it. You see, James is speaking to these businessmen and says, These businessmen whom James addresses are deliberate, self-confident planners. They decide where they will go, when they will go, how long they will stay, and what they will gain. This is not a critique of planning or making a profit, because a critique, but a critique of the presumption and arrogance of these businessmen. I mean, I just, I just have, in the last several weeks, I've been to Mexico, and then I went to India. And just presuming that you could get on the right flight at the, right t- at the time you need to get on that to get to the next flight and make that connection, you could just see the anxiety in every airport that I was in because things were just not following the schedule. Life doesn't follow your schedule, by the way. <laughs> Life doesn't follow my schedule. My, I have these plans and on paper they look really good. They look very reasonable. They look like there's no, you know, you're checking the weather. You're saying there's no reason that we shouldn't be on time today. We shouldn't be able to make this flight or whatever it is. And yet it seems as though for whatever reasons, life doesn't follow the plan. And so James is kind of admonishing these self-confident businessmen in the situation who think that they, they, can, they can plan it all out. You know, we're going to do this and we're going to make this deal and we're going to work out this situation and we're going to move to this place and we're going to make these connections and in one year from now we're going to have this kind of a profit. And James says, nope, you don't know that. So the error is thinking that we're in control. And the second thing that we see in this section is the the unawareness that we have of what's actually going on in the situation. Verse 14 says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You don't know what's going to happen. And there's, there's an arrogance about that. There's, a, there's a, a confidence that we might display or might verbalize that really exposes that we've got confidence in something that's not dependable. And that might be our, our thinking, that may be our understanding of the circumstances of the people that are involved or our past experience and all these things that, we, that are building our sense of, I think I, I, think I know how this is going to work out. I think I I can make, bring about the the gain that I really want. I think I can get the progress that I need in my life. I think I can make the deal and make the money and all those things. And yet, you know, time after time, we find that it didn't go the way we thought. He says, you don't know even what tomorrow is going to bring. And then we see in verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Not only do you not know, you're not really even that big a part of the picture. You don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot that, of, a, of a lifespan in order to even accomplish the things that you think you can accomplish. He says, your life is very fragile. Your life is very short. Your life is a mist. And that could either be just a little puff of of smoke or a little vapor that goes away. After my wife passed away a couple years ago, you know, I started thinking about that a lot because it talks about life in several places, you know, how short it is, how brief it is. And I figure at best I've got a third of a vapor left, a third of a puff of smoke a third of a mist. And God wanting us to kind of position ourselves rightly when we're really listening to and interacting with him. He wants to, you know, he's not really building up your your self-image here with this statement. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Psalm 39, 5 and 6, pick it up again. Behold... You have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. That's where life is in comparison to this eternal God, this awesome God that we want to bring down to our level, and yet... This is where, you know, a holy reverence should emerge. As we think about the brevity of our life, we think about the fragile nature of our life, the fragile nature of the things in our lives, the people in our lives. So before we go to our next point, I just want to just ask a couple questions for you to think about. How flexible are you when things don't go according to plan? If God is really the one sovereignly in control, and he's God, and you don't even know what's coming up, and you're not big enough to do anything, you know, in many situations about it, how do you respond when your life gets off schedule, when the things that you thought were almost guaranteed would happen, the good that would come, the profit you would make, the situations that you had been in, how, how flexible are you? How, how yielded are you when plans don't work out? And also, you know, what area is hard for you to trust God in? God's timing, God's provision. What, what area of, of your life do you, do you feel like, man, I really can't give this one over to God because this one's something I really, 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 really want. I really need this. I really need it at this time. I really need it now. Or I don't want to give this up to God. I told you I was in a relationship in high school. That, that relationship lasted for three and a half years. I was sure that I was going to marry this person. I was sure that I was going to marry this person. I had already kind of informally proposed, and she had informally said yes. And so I, th- I was sure this was going to be happening. But I had this nagging sense in my spirit that I was holding on to that. And so I was into my second year of college. And I used to, I didn't, I didn't know a lot of prayers. I wasn't around a lot of people who were praying, you know, their own prayers. we just say rote prayers. But I, I would pray the Lord's Prayer and I'd say, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, except don't break us up. Don't break us up. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, except make sure, Lord, that I st- we stay together. Because I've given up everything for this relationship. I've given up lots of dreams. I've given up lots of things. I have a lot, of, a lot invested in this relationship, Lord. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, except just don't do this one thing. Don't break us up. And I knew as a Christian, as a young Christian, that that's not something I could keep doing. So I finally said, Lord, whatever you want. And within just a few weeks, we, were, we broke up. What area are you unwilling to let God be God in? What relationship, what dream you have, what goal that you have? What is it that you are so afraid that God will do you wrong, so to speak? Because your soul will not be at peace until you agree with God that he really is Lord of all. So, James talks to us about presuming that, you're, that we're in control about that issue. And then secondly, he talks to us about presuming that you can make the call. Not only are you in control, but you actually can, could or should make the call. And he goes on in verse 15, he says this, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, do, we will live and do this or do that. You ought to say, your will be done. You ought to say, if the Lord wills. Uh, You know, it's interesting that James uses the word, the name of God, that he uses the word Lord. Because this was, this is Jesus' half, excuse me, James is Jesus' half-brother. So he could, he could have said lots of different things. He could have said, you ought to say, Jesus, you know, whatever you want. He could have said God, God, whatever you want, but he chooses the word Lord, which is master. He says, master, whatever your will is, it's okay. Your will be done. I, was thinking, I think about this a lot because, uh, again, I've, I reference regularly, but my wife when she was passing, and I knew she was, I knew she was, I had been told that she wasn't going to make it, that, you know, the cancer that she had, and the treatments we had gone through, and the situation being what it was, you know, that was the end, you know, we would just have a few weeks, months, you know, with her, and that we were going to make the most of that time, and there was a song that came out uh, on the Christian radio, and it's, thy will be done, thy will be done. And I would regularly play that song, and I would weep. I would weep through that song because I was, I, was, I had my precious, most important person in my life. God was saying, I'm, I'm taking her home. It's time for her graduation. I'm going to promote her a little earlier than you thought. And so I want you to let go. I want you to trust me. And so I know it's hard, it's hard to take those areas, those precious areas of your life, those those relationships and the fears that go with all those things and to say, your will be done, God. And James says that to these people. says they, they're they're talking more about just business deals, but it says you ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we're going to do this or that. But if He doesn't will, that's okay too. Proverbs 16.1 says, "The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord." The Lord gets the final answer, and you won't be at peace. I'll I'll just tell you from my own experience. I, I, you we. We can't be at peace with not letting God be God. You think he'll you like move on to a different topic or a different issue and he'll say, okay, Greg, I'll let you have that one because I know you're not giving it to me. But it just, it just stays with you. And there's really no peace at not being yielded to God in all things. There's great freedom. There's great freedom in saying, Lord, It's not what I wanted, doesn't fit my dream, doesn't fit my hope. But your plans, your will be done. And the plan that I have, I'm gonna walk it out, but if you say, nope, then I'm gonna let that go. But as we said, plans are not bad in and of themselves. In, the, in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. I think the problem here is that not the plan. The plan is fine. In fact, I think God wants us to make plans and to be diligent to carry those things out. But when we're hasty or when we, we kind of let our plans be determined by just our wants and our dreams and our uh, cravings. Many times those those plans don't line up with what God would have. So the plans of the diligent leads surely to abundance. But whoever's hasty, and I think that comes many times from us running ahead of God, or running without God's promptings or approvals. Or us just taking our best shot at it and maybe it was wrong. The uh, The Puritans really picked up on this, if if God wills, kind of statement. And they came up with a Latin phrase, Deo valente. Deo valente. Uh, It's a Latin term, and it means God willing. And the Puritans, very devout believers uh, who we draw much from, they love to include a phrase like this in their writings. If the Lord wills, if God wants, if God wills this, you know, Deo Valente. They would regularly include this in, in their writings. The Methodists picked up on it afterwards that. And they would, um, they would also sign uh, opening and closing of events. When they'd lift their events, they would write DV on, the, on, on the, their posters, <laughs> you know, on their, on their promotions. Deo Valente. If the Lord's willing, this is what we're going to do next week, next month, or so forth. And I think, you know, we can kind of make that a little bit of a, a religious thing that after a while that wouldn't make it wouldn't change the way we think about anything. But I think that, that that idea needs to come back into the fore of our mind. Lord, if you will, if you desire this, this is my plan and we hold those plans lightly. And then verse 16, it says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Uh, I think the, the thing is the, these plans that we get, we think that we're going to accomplish them and we take credit for those things. Whether it's our education or the homes we purchase, the vehicles we purchase, vacations we have, you know, so many things that we work hard at, and we follow the plan, and we feel very proud of ourselves that we that that plan came to pass. And so we 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 boast about that. We boast in our arrogance. Think about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four, verse thirty. Uh, this wealthy king who had been warned ahead of time but he's now standing out on his porch and he's overlooking his kingdom and he's just boasting about his mighty power and his royal residence and God struck him down and for seven years he was like an ox just eating the grass and letting his hair and his fingernails, toenails just grow. He just looked like an animal. He was humbled by God because he thought all those things were his doing. And James warns these businessmen, these people here, that their their sense of, look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. All this is to my credit, to my glory. And he says... You boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. It's really not just bad, it's evil. Because basically, you have taken the place of God. You have taken the glory from God. You have robbed God, who has given you breath and mind and strength and resource and health. And all that you accomplish is ultimately, it was God It was God that did those things through you. Again, Douglas Moo said this. He said, People not only leave God out of the account in planning their lives, it's the essence of sin that they brag about it as well. I take center stage in place of God. This kind of boasting is evil then, not because of the arrogant manner in which it was done, It's evil because the objects of the boasting are instances of arrogant disregard of God. You know, one man said that, you know, his society was 100% humanist and 98% of them said that they believe in God. You know, we, we live like there's no, that God isn't really a part of it. We plan our jobs, we plan our days, we plan our weeks, we plan our... Education, we plan our relationships, we plan our vacations, we plan everything. And and how much was God really a part of any of that thinking? We say that we know God. We say that we trust in God. We say that God's the one, we need his blessing, we need his wisdom, we need his strength. But how much really is he a part of the thinking of your prayers, of your reasonings? How much are we living just like the non-Christian next door or on our job? Taking job opportunities, figuring out ways to position our monies. How do we get ready for our retirements? How do we do everything? Is there really, is there really much of God or any of God in those things? Because he says, that's really kind of evil. But there's a humble choice that we can make. A humble choice that we can make. And verse 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. So there's commentators who kind of said, they they kind of pick up this verse and they go, how does this fit to everything he was just saying? Because it kind of seems like he's just plopped in some, some witty you know, quote in there and they and really all the commentators do think this is probably a kind of a statement, a kind of a quote that is used among the Christians at the time, but clearly James pulls it in to explain this. He says, it says commentators are nearly unanimous in viewing this verse as a traditional saying circulated independently of this context. Nevertheless, James does connect it to the preceding verses with a therefore. James adds the saying as an encouragement to do what he has just commanded. He has told his readers what is right. Now if they fail to do it, they are sinning. Scripture makes it very clear. Sins of omission are as real as sins of commission. That means he's telling you don't do this. Don't live this way. Don't think that your course of life something that you determine, that you sustain, that you make happen, that you are really in charge, that you're really great and able to do these things on your own. Don't do that, he says. Don't do that. Understand that you will need the power of God and the grace of God to do the works of God in the time frame that God has for you and for me. I love Psalm 37. It's not on the screen, but it says Psalm 37. The whole chapter is very, very good. But it talks about, it says how the meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And if you and I would like to enjoy abundant peace in our life, then the call is for us to live a meek life. A life that is led by, empowered by the master, the one who really should have the reins, In our life, whether we have strengths or knowledge or abilities or monies or resources or any of those things, the meek would be under the control of its master, being easily led, easily directed. And James says, you know, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. And I think about, you know, a couple people from the scripture think about Judas, you know. And he knew who that was, that he, he was, uh, spent those years with, with Jesus, the Son of God. He saw the miracles. He saw the powers of, of him. And yet, he took matters into his own hands. And then I think about Jesus at Gethsemane, knowing that God's plan was going to be hard. It was going to be costly. It was going to be... Beyond what we could even imagine, not only the, the crucifixion and the, and the punishment that he would go through, but the separation, the eternal separation and the wrath of God upon himself. And he had to struggle with that. He came back and appealed to his father, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way that we could do this, your will be done, not mine. And James would urge us, who knew his brother, he said, if you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, that's sin. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I'm so grateful that we have a gospel that tells us, you know, our high priest who has gone through the heavens, who has been tempted in everything as we are, and yet he's without sin, Jesus himself is interceding for you. He's interceding for you and I today, in our decisions and our plans and our hopes, our dreams. He's standing with you as a high, a high priest who can sympathize. But he's also given us a cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on, who are, who are watching right now as we make tough decisions, as we walk through difficulties of life, and they're cheering you on. There's a cloud of witnesses who've gone through difficult times themselves and been being challenged themselves, and yet they're your cheerleaders, urging you to keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, who's both forgiven you, who walks with you by the Holy Spirit, who surrounds you with other friends and supports and believers, and he calls us, calls us to take up a cross and follow him, and trust him with the difficulties before us. Worship team, if you'll come. And so, again, our, our big idea don't live a self reliant life that ignores God. Presuming that you know the future and its outcome. Presuming that you know best. Presume that God doesn't care about your situation. Thinking that maybe God's not able to to rescue you in your situation. Remember those Methodists and those Puritans who kept before them God God willing. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to walk them out. And I'm going to do these things God willing. But if he says no, it's because he has a greater plan. A plan sometimes beyond what this world can provide. Sometimes the plan will not be rewarded in this life. Sometimes the plan brings a reward after this life. In our eternal life in heaven with him. So let's position ourselves meekly, humbly under the one who has demonstrated how much he cares for you by giving you his only son. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are weak people, we don't have wisdom, we don't see as you see, our plans don't regularly line up with your plans, your ways are higher than our ways, and there are greater stakes than we're even aware of in what we do or what we don't do. And so, Lord, we're going to make a lot of mistakes in this area. We will probably choose wrongly. We will probably start in the wrong directions. We will probably even be a little stubborn to give up those plans. But, Lord, pursue us by your Holy Spirit. Remind us of your ways and your word. Draw us to yourself, Lord, so that we might partake of the abundant life that you have specifically walked and made for us to experience. This great salvation, this abundant life, both here and in the eternal life to come. So Lord, we give you thanks and we choose to ground and build our life on you. In Jesus' name, amen.